0: You're listening to Randy Cruz from New York City, Boom Shakalaka, Cruise Out. Hey everyone, this is Ryan Panagos, aka Marvel's Agent M, and
1: one of the co-hosts of this week in Marvel podcast. You're listening to the Cruise Control Podcast. Randy Cruz, Rayon Ali, NBA Jam, my man. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Doing good, Take a plan. Um, you know, you know this this podcast have been trying to do with you for quite some time you're a very busy man i'm a very busy man but now we're finally get a chance to talk about this nba jam book your love for nba jam and all that good stuff you're also on twitter at nba jam book so those of you who are fans of nba jam can check out uh his content he gives you a lot of uh new stuff throwback nostalgia stuff uh but rayon a pleasure to have you on finally man
0: it's so good to be here, man, and I also want you to know, even though you can't see this, I am currently wearing my uh, Sonics NBA Jam shirt. I uh, changed into it just for this. I was wearing a plaid <laughs> shirt, but I was like, I got to rep the Sonics for this.
1: So now, is that the, the 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 homage shirt or something different?
0: It is the homage shirt, yeah, uh, yeah, with uh, Gary Payton and uh, Sean, Sean Kemp. Kemp. If there was another one, Deadlift Shrimp would be cool, too, but I'll take Payton yeah. Kemp in the meantime.
1: You know what, Um I was always a bull fan. The story. I was always a mm-hmm. bull fan until they, you know, separated in, in 98 and I was looking for a new team. And also the Sonics were one of my favorites to watch. I always love the games in Seattle, big time Sean Kemp fan, even had him on the podcast a few years ago. Um, him and Gary Payton playing together, love the logo, the colors. I, I really wish they had an NBA team back in Seattle. Um, then I became a Knicks fan back in in, in 1999 when mm-hmm. they made the, the trade for Spreewell. And ever since then, man, I've been a fan of a team that's made the playoffs four times in the last 19 years. Well, you know what? <laughs> you put up love in your heart. All right, man.
0: I, I love the Timberwolves and the Timberwolves. Uh, I mean, it's like anytime something good happens, then something bad happens. Something good happens, something bad happens. Yeah. So it kind of like. I'm saving my, uh, my T-Wolves fandom for someday like 10, 15, 20 years from now when mm-hmm. they finally win something. I'm like, oh, boy, I was there with them the whole time. But, no, I know how you feel, man. I really am surprised, though, that the Knicks haven't won anything so far, at least, you know, since I've been paying attention to basketball since the, since the 90s.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, but, man, I, I think uh, hopefully when our players get healthy and— um, you know, free agency is coming up. A lot of big names are going to be free agents. A lot of, you know, big time college athletes are going to come out and hopefully we get a top three pick. I wish we get the, the first overall pick for, for Zion, but knowing the Knicks, man, <laughs> I don't know, man, they, they, they can fuck it up real quick.
0: <laughs> yeah. Don't, uh, don't get too excited. You just, you hold on until uh, it's actually there. Yeah.
1: Uh, you mentioned Minnesota. Yeah. Um, I, I always love, you know, st- speaking on, you know, nostalgia, Mm-hmm. Their logo, man, the original Wolf logo. Um, I know they don't use it no more. They, they kind of you know modified it nowadays. But that original logo, when it comes to throwback logos of the NBA, I love the Spurs logo. I love the old um, Atlanta Hawk Pac Man logo. The the T Wolf man that reminds me of Kevin Garnett, uh, Marbury those days. Absolutely, um, you know, Isaiah but, yeah, Ryder, Tom was, Gugliotta, Isaiah Ryder, man, Googles, man, man. You just, you know, certain things you want from back in the day to be now, but of course they're gonna modify it. But oh man, if, if they were to bring back bring back that logo and those uniforms, it'd be, it be so classic, man.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. No, I love that logo. I, uh, I have it on a hat somewhere over here, I think. And man, that thing is just, uh, that thing. I think really uh, still holds up after all these years. That T Wolves logo is classic, but. Um, yeah some, someday we'll see the maybe you know what maybe we'll see uh are the t wolves in the west t the Wolves are in the west right yes we'll see the t wolves and the knicks in the finals of the oh nba the God. nba finals someday <laughs> and then we'll get to have
1: both of our dreams come true imagine that um <laughs> so nba jam and you know if those who follow you would know you're a big time fan of the game just the legacy the whole aura of it it's, it's been around for so long uh, even back to our childhood. So you're writing this book on NBA Jam. Um, I guess you would tell me if you're finished, midway or whatever, but I want to ask you for those who write a book there has to be an, an, an origin, a, a premise of why you are writing that book on that certain topic. So what was the premise of writing NBA Jam and, and, and why, um, why you're doing this? And the, the idea, where did the idea come from to write a book about NBA Jam?
0: Absolutely. Uh, so uh, I'm a freelance journalist. I've got a day job too. But um, before this, so I'd say for about 10 years or so now, I've been a freelance journalist. And, um, you know, I started writing for all weeklies. Um, you know, I used to write for the Village Voice, rest in peace, um, for a whole bunch of different places uh, across the country. I wrote for com. I wrote for Spin Magazine, Wired, Complex, all these different places, uh, mostly interviews with musicians, pop culture stuff some wrestling, some other stuff. Um, And at some point, this is probably about 2015, I really wanted to write a book. Now, I'd actually pitched two books before uh, to this uh, press that does music books called 33 and a Third. And I really wanted to do a book at some point. And both those pitches were rejected. Um, So then I find this press called Boss Fight Books out of Los Angeles. And they're an indie press, but they'd been around for a couple of years, started on Kickstarter, but they had a lot of momentum behind them. A lot of positive energy. They publish individual books about individual video games. So there's a Galaga book, a Super Mario Brothers 2 book, an Earthbound book. You know, all these different games, and every uh, different game has a different author, and every different author has a different take uh, on the game. You know, some of them will do more straightforward stuff. Some of them will kind of play around with the format. Some of them will have... You know, real in depth knowledge of the game. Somebody else might take it in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so I learned about this press, and you know, I knew I really wanted to do a book, um, and I, so I pitched him on it. And I thought, man, um, what game would there be that I would really want to do a uh, book about? Where is there really some, you know, where is there really some detail worth mining? And then the more I thought about it, I was thinking about Midway. And I was thinking, boy, I used to really love NBA Jam. And this is a few years ago when, you know, I see lots of NBA Jam stuff is like, it's really cresting now again. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot more conversation about it. But a few years ago, um, you know, I was thinking, boy, like, what do people really love that I bet has a really good story that isn't really out there yet? And it was NBA Jam. So I pitched this book um, and I went way over the top of the pitch. I wrote 37 pages, 37 pages, just the pitch. Wow. Like, I just really wanted this, man. So I came up with the whole thing pretty much just in my a couple months of research, you know, the beginning and end. And of course, this is just based on what I knew about the game of the time and the research I'd done then. But I pitched it to the press and and I was um, so, so excited, still so ecstatic that they uh, accepted it. So since 2015, I've been working on this book. Um, why NBA Jam? Man, NBA Jam, of course, aside from the fact that, uh, you know, we all have these positive memories associated with it, the nostalgia, the sports aspect and whatnot. You know, I knew that NBA Jam must have a really interesting story considering that when the game came out in 1993, it made a billion dollars in arcades. So this is the same time frame in which Jurassic Park came out. And Jurassic Park, of course, is the biggest, well, you know, at that point, it was like the biggest movie in the world. Right. And that made roughly, let's say, $350 million in box office from 93 to 94, just ballpark. And then NBA Jam made $1 billion in quarters slash tokens in that time frame, which is crazy. This isn't even counting the home games. This is just the arcade version, $1 billion, which is staggering. So I was thinking like, man, that must be a crazy story considering that it made a billion dollars and then, you know, it had those huge home games that Acclaim made and then all of a sudden, well, actually not all of a sudden, kind of gradually it would go downhill. And then, you know, NBA Jam games haven't been made for years. Uh, EA Sports made one in 2010. Mm-hmm. So I knew that there must be something dramatic over there and considering that Midway started out making the games and Acclaim made the home ports, and then it turned into Acclaim making all the NBA Jam games and then Acclaim going out of business and then also Midway going out of business separately, I was thinking that, boy, I bet there's a really crazy story over here, you know, um, about the rise and fall of these companies and the rise and fall of this franchise, and, you know, especially with arcades. I mean, NBA Jam is a very classic arcade game. I mean, you know, arcades aren't really around anymore like they used to be, and neither is NBA Jam. And I, you know, I was looking at the relationship between those two things and you know, just NBA Jam's influence over there. So talk to one person, talk to another, and then pretty soon the interviews stack up. Um, my first interview was with John Robinson, uh, who went by Johnny Ballgame at GamePro Magazine. And this was back in 2015 when I did this. So he tipped me off on one other person I could talk to and then another person. And then I was doing my own research. And then since then, I've got... 68 interviews I did for this book. So it's really, it's really, um, I've really racked up the interviews, especially considering it's going to be a relatively short book, Mm. but, um, I've got some really good content. Um, and the story is actually super compelling. And some of the, the, the stuff that happened was crazy.
1: You know what, you mentioned game pro and then you, you just, you just threw me back. Um, you know, me back in the day as a kid, you know, there were two magazines, oh, correct me if I'm wrong, two magazines that, you know, as a kid, video game head, you had to buy for the codes and secrets. It was Game Pro and Nintendo Power. And I'm pretty sure people, a lot of kids, have those magazines. So just a curveball at you, are you more of a Game Pro magazine fan or N- Nintendo Power magazine fan?
0: I'm definitely a GamePro guy all the way. So <laughs> this is another part of my story is that, so I grew up in Pakistan, and Pakistan is where I was playing NBA Jam for the first time. And over there, uh, you could get GamePro, like in the the shops, that, in the shops they would uh, import the magazines, and GamePro was one of the magazines that they imported. So I still got to read a lot of GamePros. No Nintendo powers, though. In retrospect, as I go back through old issues and whatnot, I can appreciate Nintendo power, but at the time, GamePro all the way.
1: Yeah man um, I, I just, what about you? Oh, uh, that's why i made that noise cuz i really don't <laughs> know cuz i used, you know you used to spend so much money on the magazines and the arcades and trying to find the cheat codes and but i think from like maybe a graphic standpoint maybe gamepro was more more graphic like the the the, the pictures and the colors mm-hmm. and probably more information maybe you know I think GamePro was more than just one one system, you know, Nintendo Power was just basically Nintendo games, so GamePro gave you maybe Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Genesis, and all, all down the line, but I, I haven't owned any of, any of those magazines in quite some time. Sometimes when I go to a, a throwback store, I'll see it, I'm like, man, that cover right there, I see a lot of Mortal Kombat covers, NBA Jam covers, and uh, so on and so forth, so... Um, You know, when even when you on your timeline throw up a throwback magazine, I'm like, shit, man. Sometimes I wish I had one or two just to Mm -hmm. have it, just to kind of read through and to see what kind of, you know, information that, you know, what kind of games you're talking about to see how long ago that was, man.
0: Yeah, man. I still have a substantial portion of my collection from back when I was a kid. Mm. Now, it's gone from – it went from basically – those magazines went from America to Pakistan where they were sold, and then they went all the way back across the world with me uh, when I moved back to the States. And I still have a whole bunch of them, and they're all beaten up so – you know i kind of go through them once in a while but when i do like man just the nostalgia is pretty overpowering plus some of the content is really interesting and i mean especially game pro they had lots of great illustrations and lots of very interesting articles and they would get a lot of exclusives i mean that's where uh, nfl blitz debuted for the first time Mm -hmm. that was in game
1: pro wow i did not know that (laughs) yeah yeah um Um, but yeah i don't want to ask you this um The landscape of when NBA Jam came out, you said nineteen ninety three. So ninety three, there's a whole bunch of games that we're talking Mario, we're talking Mario Kart, we're talking, um, you know, Street Fighter has has already been out. Maybe Mortal Kombat. You're talking about Sonic the Hedgehog, a whole variety of games, and now, and a few sports games. You know, Madden maybe, Uh, but from the basketball side. I don't think NBA Live was out at that time. I think in '95. So NBA Jam, when it comes out, it's like real brand new to, to 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 every child. It's two on two. It's you know full court. Everybody can jump fifty feet in the air. And, you know, make eighty foot jump shots. So when you play NBA Jam for the first time, um, and then even look look looking back at it now. Like What drew you to that game so much that when it came to other video games, you probably didn't even want to play those because NBA Jam took a majority of your time?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the first time I remember ever hearing about NBA Jam was in this uh, magazine ad. Um, or it's—I think actually, I think I saw it on the back of a comic book, and it was one for tournament edition. So I was probably like, let's say maybe like mm-hmm. eight, nine, ten around this time, um, and I was a little late to NBA Jam in that way. Like it had already been out for like a little bit, but when I saw actually the colors of this ad because it claimed did such a great job marketing, like I saw the colors of the Phoenix Suns logo and I saw the colors of the Supersonics logo and the, mm-hmm. the Hornets logos. I was like, man, this looks really cool. I got to try this game. And then when I played the game, I was like, man, this is crazy. Like. Is this what, you know, is this really how NBA basketball goes? At this point, I wasn't an NBA fan. Like, I, this is what got, actually NBA jams what got me into the NBA. And I was like, man, is this really like, you know, when you're a little kid, you'd be like, oh, is this like no rules? Is this how they play the NBA? And then, you know, you take five minutes to think about <laughs> it. Like, that, that actually is not based in reality at all. Mm. But, you know, when you see it, you're just like, wow, this is incredible. So, you know, it was it was that. It was definitely, the you know, Tim Kistrow. Um, whom you've interviewed before, you know, his over the top commentary, that was a huge part of it too. I mean, just the excitement of the game. And I also really love, you know, personally, I'm more into arcade style games. I love Mortal Kombat. It wasn't an arcade game, but I love Tony Hawk's Boat Skater. Mm -hmm. I love games you can play, you can pick up and play and that's it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, RPGs and, um, you know, strategy games are very cool. But my personal taste is more for, like, quick games and NBA Jam. You know what I mean? You can go in there,
1: yeah. play
0: this quarter that goes like that, and you can get a lot of action on a short period of time. So um, the Crazy Dunks, they definitely did it for me. Um, you know, getting to know the personality, seeing these characters, like, okay, who's Alonzo Mourning? Who's Patrick Ewing? Who's Sean Kemp? Who right. are these guys? Um, I mean, there was, like, a lot of intrigue about that. And then, of course, when you learn about the secret characters, when you see Bill Clinton's in the game, then, like, what? Bill Clinton? None and then right. you, you play Bill Clinton. You're like, oh, my gosh, who else is here?
1: Mm-hmm. And then
0: you find out Will Smith and DJ Jazzy Jeff and whoever else it's, um So it just kind of had a, a snowball effect in that way. But it all started from me looking at this ad and seeing these logos and thinking like, man, this must be really cool. I got to try this game. And then that got me into the NBA. And I really passionately loved the NBA in the 90s after that. So NBA Jam,
1: uh, NBA Jam's done a lot for me. So Rayon, I will ask you this because I know I know what happened. How many times that when you took an L in these games, you threw the joystick, you threw the controller, you got upset, you broke a TV. How many times, man? Oh man, oh man! I, <laughs> uh, I see the, the thing
0: I couldn't tell you. The, the thing is, I always want to go back and I want to be like because I spent all these years talking about NBA Jam. I was like, what was it like when I played it for those first times? And all I remember was like how much I loved the game, and I I'm sure I got real angry over something. But all my memories are just me sitting at the foot of the bed with a Sega Genesis c- controller in my hand. Actually, mm. it was a Sega Mega Drive, which is what they've got, uh, the UK version, the PAL version, right. which is what I had in Pakistan. And I was remember playing that. I was like on the foot of the bed. actually I wasn't on the foot of the bed. I was on the floor right next to the bed. And, you know, I bet I, I'm certain I did. But actually, my, more, my anger now comes out more when I play the arcade version as an adult. Mm. And I know what they did. You know, now that I've learned so much about the game, I know that there's a little tricks in there that frustrates me more. So I definitely actually probably have more um, frustration with NBA Jam as an adult than I did as a kid.
1: So from the people you know, you know, friends, family, you know, people on Twitter, if you were to take a general survey of, you know, people, do you like NBA Jam more or NBA Live more? You know, which way do you think it goes that people that you know more love NBA Jam or NBA Live?
0: See, I w- I w- I th- that's a great question. I would say that most people I've found, um, you know, of course, my experiences I'm definitely biased in the way uh, mm. you of know, working all this time on NBA Jam, talking about NBA Jam. I, I'm inclined to say most of them like NBA Jam more. Um, I haven't, you know, I don't spend a lot of time focusing on like sim style games, you know, simulation gaming. So personally, it's always been NBA Jam I've heard a lot about. And even as a kid, I actually, I did love NBA Live too, but NBA Jam was something special. So just from my perspective, it's always been NBA Jam. But, you know, as you see nowadays, it's like simulation style games are what people are playing more. So I'm sure the public in mass, you know, they probably care more about sim style games. But for me and for the people I've talked to, I'd say NBA Jam over NBA Live. But then again, take that with that grain of
1: salt. Right. But it, do you think it's a fair comparison? You know, NBA Jam is two on two, but, you know, NBA Live is five on five. Do, do you think it's a fair, a fair comparison uh, to, 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 to compare live to NBA Jam?
0: That's a great question too. Um, you know, I'd say, you know, in a way I'd say it is because they're different games and the different styles of game, but you know, like, let's say when it comes to fighting games, people compare street fighter to mortal Kombat. you know, they compare Tekken to, you know, let's say virtual fighter, you know, compare something to killer instinct and these are all different games, but you compare them. So I think it's fair, you know, when it comes to basketball games, ultimately we're talking about basketball games and they've got that thing in common. So, um, in that way, I can see comparing them. Of course, they're very different animals and they were meant to do different things. Um, but, you know, my of course, I got a big soft spot in my heart for NBA Jam, but I had some love for NBA Live too, especially on the PC. I remember there was a version with uh, Tim Hardaway on the cover. Mm-hmm. This is the one yeah. he was on The Heat. Oh,
1: yeah. Um,
0: um, I think it was like 96, 97, 98, one of those. Mm. And that, that, was, that was definitely a game I loved a whole lot. Um, but, yeah, my experience has been more NBA Jam, but, you know, I think it's fair putting them up against each other.
1: So who was your favorite team in NBA Jam?
0: Man, it's got it. so I would say it's got to be a couple. So okay. these are kind of the cliche answers. But first one has got to be uh, Kemp and Peyton on the Sonics or mm-hmm. Detlef Schrempf um, right. or, let's say, Stockton Malone on the Utah Jazz. Now, these are the the classic picks, but, man, I, I have a real soft spot for them. Mm-hmm. But – As far as other teams go, I always love Charles Barkley and Dan Marley. That's another classic combination to me, too. I'm pretty sure when you play uh, NBA Jam Tournament Edition, when the game starts you off and you're selecting teams, the first one you see is the Suns with Dan Marley's face on there. So Dan Marley is somebody else who I really associate strongly with NBA Jam. Um, But there were so many great teams. I mean, you got Alonzo Mourning and Larry Johnson. True. I mean, you can just go up and down the roster. You got Scottie Pippen and Horace Grant. But personally, I love the Sonics um and you know i love the timberwolves but man the timberwolves squad was it was so so this is before um marbury and garnett um it was i think it was Gugliotta, and then it was maybe yeah, like yeah, um chuck person or something like that chuck so,
1: person was he on minnesota I, kn- I know i know he was a pacer but i don't, I don't know about minnesota yeah who am i thinking of? Oh, maybe probably, was- uh, wasn't J.R. ryder in there he he was in one of
0: the versions. This is where I get a little fuzzy too. Is I look at all these different versions and I kind of confuse them in my head. Uh-huh. I forget who was in the original. I think there was somebody on there. Well, whatever the case is, the the original Timberwolves squad was not anything that was like, oh wow, you got to play these guys. But mm-hmm. always had a soft, soft spot for them too. Love the Spurs also. David Robinson and Sean Elliott. You can't go wrong with those guys. David Robinson is a king. So
1: yeah, um, for me. Just yeah, trying, just you know, just trying to recall. I know Phoenix was tough. You know, the Warriors had Chris Mullen and uh, was it Sprewell or something like that, or Mitch Richmond, Tim Hardaway,
0: and then maybe Mitch Richmond. But I am not. Yeah. Sure. I was in Mitch Richmond with the Kings, but I am sure he was on the Warriors back during NBA Jam. I Which would say
1: been. the Sonics. You know, Knicks with Ewing and Starks, uh, LJ and Lonzo. I think I am forgetting. I think Indiana had Reggie and um, Chuck Person but it's just, you know, man, when you play with these teams and you you get real competitive and it's like you're on fire. I think the the Pistons had, um, who was it, Isaiah Um, Isaiah Dumas, right? Yeah, Isaiah
0: Dumas,
1: yeah. Okay, so now I mentioned the Pistons, and this is something I came across, you know, just on social media and Google, but I think the creator of NBA Jam, correct me if I'm wrong, he's a Piston fan, right? He's a huge Pistons fan. Okay. Yes, he was uh, Michigan born and raised. So now, when I read that he he put in a glitch in the game, that I guess anytime they they would play Chicago, I guess because that was the rival back in the day. That anytime they'll play Chicago, somehow the Pistons would always win that game. That, that, that's true. Yes or no?
0: That is true. Yeah. So what what he did was, so Mark Termel is his name. What he did was uh, he was a huge uh, Pistons fan. And this is especially, keep in mind, the time period. This is when the Pistons and the Bulls had a really intense rivalry. Yeah. Um, so check this out. So back when uh, in, in the Midway days, in the late 80s, um, Mark Termel was in Chicago, which is where the Midway offices was. Um, where the midway offices were, and he was this huge Pistons fan. So what he would do was he would kind of go around the office, especially when they were winning, and he would chant like, bad boys, bad boys, (laughs) at the Bulls fans, and the Bulls fans hated him. Like John Tobias, uh, co-creator of Mortal Kombat, huge Bulls fan. John Hay, who made the sounds for NBA Jam and did the music for that and Smash TV and a bunch of other games, huge Bulls fan. So he would always taunt them. And then... Of course, the Bulls start getting to be really good and then just destroy the Pistons. And uh, he wanted to level the playing field. He felt like the Pistons are going to come back. So when he had his NBA – when he had a chance to make his NBA game, he's like, how can I make this in favor of the Pistons? Mm -hmm. So he made it so that in the fourth quarter, if you're playing the Pistons versus the Bulls, you're more likely to – End up with uh, the Bulls missing the last second shots and choking at the end of the game and the wow. Pistons winning. And that is that is true. That is something that he did. And then he ended up doing a very similar thing with NFL Blitz where the Detroit Lions are very good. Um, that one, I don't think he's got it against a certain team, but he definitely juiced up the Detroit Lions a bit in NFL Blitz too.
1: I mean, listen, man. One, I, I was already mad. There was no Michael Jordan in the game. Big time Chicago Bulls fan. I'm like, mm-hmm. hey, man, uh, you know, Scottie and Horace Grant. It sounds cool, but I'm like, yeah, Horace Grant. I'd rather have Michael. And now, with, the, now with this glitch coming, I, you know, I, you know, w- when I was a kid, I, I did not even know that. But now I might have lost a few games to Detroit. <laughs> now, now I know why. Yeah,
0: absolutely. You never know. It might have happened because of that. I mean, he was just he was just so passionate about the Pistons. And I'm sure that those people that that the um, his coworkers at Midway were upset with the fact that the Bulls would lose to the Pistons. But that was his way of putting his own touch on the game. So, you know, I'm not knowing what I know about him now after getting to know him while working on this book. I'm not surprised that he did something like that. But uh, yeah, you know, if you lost some games, then you got Mark Tremel to blame.
1: Oh man, I, I, to blame, I lost money in the arcades, I, I no, fought no. a couple times. Oh no, arguments. all right, I got his phone number here somewhere, I'll send it to you, he, he'll cut you a check. <laughs> <laughs> um, the process of, of writing this NBA Jam book, um, when you start, automatically there are a few things you, you, you know, you within yourself say, I got to get... This information, I got to speak to that person. So right off the bat, what were some of the, some of the important things you felt like you have to that you had to get and needed to get for this book?
0: Absolutely. So, of course, fundamentally, I had to get the midway team. I had to get the guys behind NBA Jam. And I got the original team. And I've gotten to know them individually, too, over the years uh, of working on this. So they were crucial. I got them. I got Tim Kissrow. The commentator, um, and then I wanted to get you know people just beyond Midway itself. So I got you know I at least wanted one person from Acclaim. I think I ended up getting four, maybe five, um, just to, just for the Acclaim section alone. Um, and then I also you know I knew that okay NBA Jam has got fans all over the place, so. Who, who could I potentially get that's a player? Right. So I reached out to a bunch of different people. And, you know, as it happens, sometimes somebody will get back to you. Sometimes they won't. But I ended up with Glenn Rice and Shaq, which nice. I think isn't isn't too bad at all. So, um, yeah. So I really, I knew I wanted somebody like that. So, you know, I managed to get Shaq and that was huge for me. That was like, I felt like I had a breakthrough, you know, like I got Shaq for this. You know, of course I'm a no name right now, but like, man, I've got this. This is great. Mm -hmm. Um, who else? I wanted to try to get some secret characters. Um, there's a few people, of course, you know, you ask and you don't get them. Um, but I did manage to get, uh, George Clinton, P-Funk and DJ Jazzy Jeff. Nice. Um, and which was great. I mean, getting their perspective on it is totally different from somebody at Midway, which is totally different from somebody at Claim, which is totally different from the fans that I talked to too, or the um, or Johnny uh, Ballgame, John Robinson in Game Pro Magazine. So I wanted to get like bits and pieces of everybody. You know, the fo- the story focuses on Midway, but I wanted to see okay, who else is out there? Who are these outliers whose lives are impacted by this? Or would have some familiarity with this game mm-hmm. that could talk about it in a different way. So those were the, that's I would say that's the main roster that I wanted to get right off the bat was like the midway people, some acclaimed people, some secret characters and whatnot. And I got all that and more. I managed to really fan out and get a whole bunch of people on the, um, just on the, the, the outliers. Um, so I'm, I'm really fortunate in that way. I've gotten a lot of people to talk to me. People love NBA Jam. I mean, people, they love talking about this game. Sometimes you talk about a game or a project. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's tough finding people because they might have mixed feelings about it. Something might have happened. But NBA Jam, everybody loves it so much. So um, it's really gratifying that way to be able to talk about something that people really enjoy.
1: So who are some people out there that you have not had, uh, had a chance to interview, but you feel like you need to get them?
0: At this point, so, um, just to give you a, just a quick update about the book, and I'll talk to you about it more in detail uh, throughout this, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But I finished it, uh, so it's finished. I'm working on some uh, oh, nice. revisions and whatnot. It was we're very close to to finalizing and whatnot. So at this p- point, I've got 68 interviews, and of course, I have to not only set up those interviews and do the interviews, but transcribe the interviews and then take out content from those. So I don't think there's anybody left that you know. There's nobody that I'm like, boy, I have to get them, and I didn't get them. Mm-hmm. The kind of people that I wanted to get or I tried to get that I couldn't get, um, I tried to get Sean Kemp, tried to get Gary Payton. That did not work out. Um, I, I tried some celebrities here and there who I knew were uh, you know, tangentially associated with NBA Jam. Like, for example, Seth Rogen. Huge NBA Jam fan. Tried him, didn't get him. Tried Macaulay Culkin, who has a funny story in the book too. Just a little sh- uh, short story. Wasn't able to get him, but um, you know it was it's, it was cool reaching out though. I mean, like you know, I tried all kinds of people. Like you know, I know Frank Ocean's a at least from what I understood, he's a, he was a big arcade fan. So I tried him too. Of course, I didn't get Frank Ocean, but I managed to get all these other people instead. Like I got. Let's say I got John Romero, the co-creator of Doom and Quake and all these classic id software games to talk about Mark Tremell mm. in a different context than everybody else. So at this point, I won't say that there's anybody left. And I've got such a fleshed out, complete story. I could talk to you about NBA Jam all day and probably not repeat myself just because I've got so much insight and learned so much over these years. But, you know, it was definitely a broad range when I started out. But, you know, as I started talking to more people, I thought, boy, Actually, I think it's a, in a way it's a good thing because that way I can only have, if I only have two players, I have Glenn Rice and Shaq, and those are great players to have. So if I have too many of them, then it might dilute it. So I'm real satisfied with the interview list that it ended up being, and I've got something like 60 interviews for the short book. So mm. um, I've got everybody I need now.
1: Now, those are a lot of interviews, so I'm pretty sure they're going to provide you information that you might have not known about NBA Jam. So were there anything that was shocking to you that when you interviewed you, you interviewed these people that you was like, oh, shit, I didn't know that?
0: Absolutely. I mean, there was all these different things. And, of course, stuff comes in bits and pieces. But just focusing on NBA Jam alone, I knew it was popular. I didn't know how popular it was. I mean, uh, this uh, one editor at this uh, magazine called Video Games and Computer Entertainment, um, named this editor's name is Chris Biennick. I don't, I don't think I'm butchering his name, but his name is Chris Bianic. And he told me that when um, this magazine ran an article about NBA Jam, they also ran a contest to send in uh, for, to win an NBA Jam arcade game. And the amount of people that sent in for this contest filled up an industrial waste bag, like a huge industrial waste bin liner is how he described it. Mm. So like that is, a, that is a ton of postcards, ton of letters. So just knowing how popular it was and hearing about it in detail was something that I didn't really know. You know I knew it was popular, but to hear it from somebody's perspective where they're getting thousands of cards and thousands of letters... I mean, just to see that or rather to hear that is just something crazy. Um, Talking about Tim Kittsrow, the games commentator, Mm -hmm. you know, I learned that, for example, he uh, uh, that when he was working on the home games, Acclaim almost didn't end up uh, signing him because uh, he wanted too much money for them, which in retrospect was a really – I mean, even now, I would say it's a small amount for as talented as important of a right as talented as he is as an actor and how important he is to the game. He wanted something like three thousand dollars to do the home game, and Acclaim wasn't willing to give it to him. And he almost didn't make it to the home game and lost his part to somebody else. And hearing that was crazy because, of course, I first learned about NBA Jam through these home games, and as much as people love the NBA Jam arcade version. If he hadn't been on the home games, I mean, you wouldn't be remembering Boom Shakalaka and he's on fire mm-hmm. to the same degree and the same notoriety I right. say, that you
1: do now. So were, were majority of these interviews um, face-to-face, online, Skype, whatever, Like, are, uh, how, many, how many of these interview people that you've met in person? Honestly, so
0: I'm, I'm in Columbus, Ohio, and um, my budget for this book is like five bucks basically. It's like much whatever I got in my bank account that I'm like, yeah, I'm willing to go buy this magazine or go do this or make this trip for it. So in the end, none of them ended up being face to face. It was okay. all over the phone. But the right. upside of this was that I've been able to, this is more like less about the um, interacting part of it, but I've been working on this project for so long that I've gotten to know people and I did repeat interviews so that even though it was only over the phone, um, I've still gotten to know their personalities, and we've talked about stuff in detail. Um, so it all ended up being over the phone. I would have loved to be to do it in person, but you know, most everybody's based out of Chicago. I've got some people in California too. Of course I got some others across the globe so I wasn't able to do it in person for financial reasons um, but doing it over the phone meant that I was able to you know kind of do it um, kind of sustain a pattern over there and get to know people so I'd say almost everybody I talked to more than once um, when it came to when it came to the design team I talked to everybody I'd say almost everybody more than once in one case I did an email exchange that was more than one email exchange right so um yeah, none of it face-to-face, which is funny. I've spent years of my life working on this thing, and I've never met any of these people, but I would say that at this point now if we talked, if I met them in person, they would they would feel like they know me because I feel like I know them too. We've got to know each other.
1: So, Kirby, if I'm wrong, you 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 obviously interviewed Mark Tamil, right? I did. I did, several times. So now, knowing that you're a big NBA Jam fan, you probably had every game known to man, you follow, you follow everything within the games, and now out of all the people you interviewed and he's the creator of I mean aside from Kits Roker he's the voice but you know you know just getting a chance to, to interview the creator of this game like I'm, I'm pretty sure that that was kind of a, a surreal feeling to you right
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, especially early on in the process when in a way like he's less like a person that I get to know and more like, you know, the creator of NBA Jam and NFL Blitz and Smash TV. Like he's way up here, man. It was crazy. I mean, what's funny is that I actually years ago before I even did this, I remember sending him a message on Facebook. This is like 2014, I'd say. Um, where I said, or maybe 2013, where I said, Hey, you know, maybe I want to do an article about NBA jam someday. Um, you know, maybe you could speak sometime, something like that. And it was just like one of those exchanges where it's just like a hi, hello, bye kind of thing. Right. You know, you don't really get to know the person whatnot. not. And, you know, I was still like, Oh, wow. It's the creative NBA jam. I'm talking to him. I felt so cool. It was, this is great. And then when I started talking to him on the phone for the first time, I was like, okay, this is a really interesting guy. And then as I got to know him, I was like, wow, this guy is super fascinating And I went from, in a way, like looking at him as a celebrity to more like looking at him as like this really fascinating character that I've kind of fleshed out in the book. And I've been able to tell a story, which is one of the craziest stories that I think has never been really documented in detail. I mean, this guy is a legend. The amount of things that he has had an impact on and that he's seen for himself the amount of time he's been in the industry is just staggering. So, um, I mean, the first time it was just crazy. But after a while, I feel like, boy, I feel like I know him and he knows right. me and we talk about stuff.
1: Um, I do want to ask you this. Um, yeah, The fact that, you know, the last time NBA Jam, you know, they had a game out was like, like 2012, 11. One of those
0: two. Yeah. So yeah. So EA Sports got the rights to NBA Jam. Mm-hmm. Uh, roughly, I'd say 2009 or so. They published NBA Jam in 2010, which was for PS. I think it was for I, yeah. It was it was a couple of console versions, okay. and then they had uh, NBA Jam on Fire edition. I think this is PS3 and Xbox 360 for these. Actually, it started out on the Wii. Uh, NBA Jam 2010 started out on the Wii, mm-hmm. and then it got to be so popular that they ported it to PS3, and I think it was 360. And then they ended up making on fire. So it's been a minute since they made any the NBA Jam games.
1: So you, as a fan, me as a fan, do you, do you think we find it? You know, I know that I know that they they still do the the whole two K stuff. But do you do you find it kind of odd that you know now with a lot of kids knowing about the old school basketball and you know the advent of social media and stuff like that, like now. There, there is no NBA. There is no current NBA Jam game that comes out every year like 2K does. Where, you know, yeah, it's cool. It's cool to do the traditional five on five 2K stuff. But I think for the for the for the younger audience, I think it'd be kind of cool to get a Kevin Durant, a Stephen Curry, LeBron. You know, James Harden in these NBA Jam formatted games. You know, every single year. You know, do you find it kind of odd or it, it, it's sad that. The, the, the mega franchise that NBA GM is does not come out with a new game every year.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's definitely sad in a way. And I think that's one of those things that makes NBA Jam story real special is that, you know, people love this thing and they're just not making the games. And I know, you know, Tim Kitzrow, for example, he really wants them to make another NBA Jam game. And so EA got the rights in about 2009. Mm. Um, And then, you know, those games actually ended up being really successful um, for what they were. they were on low budgets. I also talked to uh, Trey Smith who was the creative director of those games. Um, So I got to know that perspective too. But those games performed well, and the mobile versions of those games performed really well. I mean, Mm. NBA Jam was like a great idea for a mobile game. So no, it is definitely heartbreaking that they haven't done anything in the years since. I mean, people are still, they go on the NBA Jam Facebook page that EA manages, and they'll post on there like, can you guys update the rosters, new game, please, anything, can we do this, can we do that? And there's just total silence. And, you know, with NBA Jam, I think that I'm not sure it's necessarily sustainable as a year-to-year franchise because, you know, NBA Jam's fun is its novelty in a way. You know, it's like, oh, this is crazy. It's fun. Mm-hmm. But it's not really, like, super deep. But I would say, like, every, you know, three, four, five years, absolutely. I mean, different NBA players each of those periods and the stuff you could do with different modes and secret characters. And of course, there's so much love for the game. It's definitely sad. And I mean, I keep hoping that they're going to make a new NBA Jam game, especially where there's all this momentum and all this love. I mean, I've I've talking to these people and, you know, you and I are talking about a game that started out 25 years ago and the last game was made nine years ago. I mean, but still, there's so much passion and interest and excitement. And I've spoken to so many people that are so psyched about this project. I mean, I feel like ea or whomever is going to own the license next they're just sitting on an opportunity that they're not doing anything with so um man no it is heartbreaking and i i hope that there's going to be another nba jam sometime soon i've heard some some rumblings here and there but nothing substantial enough so i don't think it's going to be anytime soon but it's going to happen at some point but i'm surprised that it has yeah. uh, taken so
1: long so from your fan perspective and someone who, who's covered this Uh, NBA Jam for so long and played it and is now writing about it you know 20 we're going on 26 years since the first one was released and man we're getting old Um, yeah oh yeah um, like the legacy of NBA Jam you know everybody can say oh it's dope it's fire it's classic but it's like real. you know if you want to deep dive in it um, in your perspective what is the legacy of of NBA Jam and and how you know it created this Culture and you know, change the game of how video games were made, and now you know, it's not traditional five on five, it's now a two on two, it, it's, it's different, it's unique, um, out the box, and just you know, flat out super creative. So, the legacy of, of NBA Jam, you say, uh, to that, yeah. So, I mean,
0: so first off, just going back to NBA Jam itself and the impact that it had for Midway in the 90s, I mean, all those sports games that came of it. I mean, NFL Blitz, and then as you're moving into the 2000s, MLB Slugfest. And then actually, jumping back to the 90s, NHL Open Ice. Then you've got games like NHL Hits. And then whenever you play like an arcade-style sports game, in some ways you've got NBA Jam to thank. I mean, there were arcade sports games before this, but NBA Jam really set the standard. And I mean, something like He's on Fire and Boom Shakalaka you know, this has really had a persistent legacy. I mean, like here's a, an, a few examples of how I think like NBA Jam is really what its legacy is. Is in a way, in a way, um, I heard about this beer pong rule where you know you play beer pong and you hit three shots in a row, you're on fire. That's totally straight from <laughs> NBA man. Jam. What does beer pong right. have to do with NBA Jam? Nothing. 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 But yeah, but it had so much of an impact that you'll see that over there. And I mean, think about big head mode in video games where okay, you can enter some kind of cheat code or do something where you can get big heads. Well, NBA Jam was was the first, if not one of the first, uh, games to do that, um, which started as an extension of the secret characters and which started actually as an extension of the game having uh, faces in there, the faces of the NBA players in there. So it was, you know, I would say it was the one of the first games um, to have recognizable faces, if not the first game, definitely NBA's first arcade game of any kind. Um, and it was, you know, so monumental in that way. I mean, um and it also introduced so many people to basketball i mean it introduced me to basketball and tim kitzrose talked about it too is that it's introduced people across the world to basketball because you know there's so much excitement in this game itself you want to know more about the players and about the world so that that'll lead you to then learning about the teams and then mm-hmm. learning about the players and then like me i ended up being a huge nba fan um huge nba fan all because of this game so you know, its impact is all over the place, but when it comes to arcade sports, I think it's undeniable. NBA Jam set the standards. That's the gold standard. And you go to barcades now, you can't go to a barcade or talk about 90s arcades without bringing up NBA Jam. Right. So, you know, it was just such a substantial impact. And I mean, just having those faces in the game for the first time, that's a huge thing, too, that I feel like not enough people give NBA Jam credit for.
1: So when are you going to get the, the arcade version in your house of NBA Jam? Oh, man. Are you kidding me? Oh, it's not like I haven't looked on eBay
0: Ford. Oh, my gosh. Oh, someday. Someday. That's Ah. the dream, man. Um, Are you familiar with this company, Arcade One Up? Have you heard about this thing? No. So what they do is they do um, these small arcades, like let's say these arcade cabinets that are about, I think, four feet tall. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's around about four feet tall, but they've done like a Street Fighter one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're going to do a Pac-Man one. They're going to do a Mortal Kombat one. Nice. They've done several different ones, but it sounds like they're going to do an NBA Jam one. And that one is going to be hopefully coming out in the next year or two. And if there's like a small NBA Jam cabinet I can have in my place, that'll be great. But of course, someday I would love to get the real deal, you know, a four-player NBA Jam or four-player tournament edition. So I don't have it yet, but the dream is someday to have it. In the meantime, I've got all this weird NBA Jam memorabilia that just sitting around my place that hopefully I can, you know, decorate or at least, you know, when this book's out, I want to do some readings and whatnot. I can take it on the road.
1: Now, for those who do follow you on Twitter, which is NBA Jam book, um, would know that, yes, you are a big NBA Jam fan, but also you are, to my knowledge, a big Mortal Kombat fan, right? Huge, huge, actually. Okay. Uh, my uh, my uh, first writing gig was actually for Mortal Kombat
0: website. So back in Pakistan, this is like, let's say, 96, 97, 98, probably 97, 98. Mm-hmm. I started writing for this Mortal Kombat website, and that's how actually I got to know all the, the world of Midway for the first time. So when I came back to NBA Jam all those years later to write the pitch, I, um, you know, drew on that all that knowledge I had of Midway based on my love for Mortal Kombat and like actually, you know, recognizing the names of the people that made the games back then. So I've got a deep love for Mortal Kombat. I watched them. I was at work today and I rescheduled a meeting. Um, I was like, okay, so at my day job, I, had to, I had to do these phone conferences. Mm-hmm. So I had a one thirty phone conference, one thirty Eastern, and I was like, oh, I have to reschedule this. I've got an important meeting. And he's the guy's like okay fine, and the important meeting was watching this MK11 livestream reveal. Oh yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm still right there with with uh, Mortal Kombat. Of course, I had to like keep it in another window, you know, keep it away from management or anything like that. So, um, but no, I still have the deep love for Mortal Kombat, and those games are so close to closely intertwined. I mean, you've got Mortal Kombat characters in an NBA Jam. I mean, those guys work side by side, doors down from each other, right? Um, so it's uh, no i've i've loved those very much and yeah if you're an old mortal Kombat stuff i the stuff that i'm digging up on my twitter account is just pretty crazy i've gone i do deep dives all the time and i pull up all kinds of weird stuff
1: big time man i i saw a video earlier and i i didn't even know um that ronda rousey was the voice for Sonya blade yes I yeah
0: yeah this is exciting news man it's crazy that like I mean, it makes me so happy that like Mortal Kombat is still so alive uh, and still doing so well. I mean, Midway went out of business in 2009, and considering that you know, when, sometimes when a company goes under, their properties go with it. And knowing that Mortal Kombat's still alive and still doing so well is really gratifying. And knowing that Ed Boon, who was there from the beginning, is still on it. Is just gives me like a really positive feeling, so it's uh, it's really gratifying to see Mortal Kombat still doing so well.
1: Mm. I do I do got a few points left, but I, I'm trying not to forget. Um, before we before we even deep dive into Mortal Kombat, I, I want to let you know that out of all the remakes that movies are are, are happening right now, there there needs to be a remake of Mortal Kombat, the the, the film from, from, from 95. I wasn't a big fan of it back in the day. I, if it came on now, I probably won't watch it. So I think that movie needs to be remade, bro.
0: Absolutely. I mean, you know what I was thinking about this when I was thinking about Mortal Kombat stuff is that the last thing that came out, I think it was called Mortal Kombat Legacy, was like this TV show kind of deal. Uh, I think it was a TV show um, or some kind of web series. And that was like really kind of gritty, kind of Matrix-like. But in my head, Mortal Kombat is more like Game of Thrones. So I feel like if you made like a really like quality big budget Game of Thrones style thing with NBA with NBA jam characters, throwing some NBA jam characters for cameos, you throw with Mortal Kombat, I think that could really find an audience. So I absolutely mm-hmm. think that there's there's you know, now's the time for Mortal Kombat movie more Game of Thrones style where you got the gore and the adult stuff in and and whatnot, but the bright colors and those big characters and whatnot. So absolutely, the time is right for another Mortal Kombat movie.
1: But Rayon, I will tell you one thing, I'm not, I'm not a big Game of Thrones fan. No? What no. why not? Uh you know what it is? Um, and I I want to be fair. I I, mm-hmm. I I only saw the first season. And I, I guess for me, I'm just not a fan of like though of that time period kind of movies or TV shows. I couldn't get into it like, you know, when it comes to like maybe a gladiator 300, maybe I'll get into that or Troy. But when it comes to you know Game of Thrones kind of stuff. I know everybody loves it. I know that they yeah. get, they got their final season coming up soon, so maybe I can give it a second chance and watch uh, the second season. But but I'm not saying that the first season was whack or anything. I just felt like I yeah. just I just couldn't find myself sitting there uh, every hour uh, of an episode to be like and really be engaged in what they were showing. You know.
0: I felt like you know, I mean that that's a that's a complex show, and that's one of those things. When I started watching that show, I honestly wasn't too crazy about it either. I was like, okay, let me give it a few. Um, let me give it a chance for a bit. But then it definitely gets better as the seasons go on. Um, but no, I understand what you mean. But I would say that, you know, with the Game of Thrones comparison, I would say is that, you know, uh, Game of Thrones has got, like, you know, these big characters and, like, these co- the costume design is, you know, on another level. That kind of thing is like, man, I want them to see Mortal Kombat with, like, you know, where they care about it and they're like, they pull off the fact that, like, you know, you've got these ridiculous outfits, but you've got the budget and you've got the cinematography and the talent uh, to back it up. So maybe, maybe somewhere between that. So actually... Let's see. Now, just to, to turn the question toward you, where would you want to see a Mortal Kombat movie go or what would you want it to resemble?
1: Uh man. I, I guess I guess the, the, the 95 one just did not look realistic to me. I know they can do a, a way better job now with the technology and CGI shit, but um, I guess more, more, more real, it, it, I did... There's no storyline that has to go, come from the video game per se, but um maybe some actors who are playing the part that, that are really gonna you know fit the role better. Um, I don't know, man. I you, but you know what? If it does have a Game of Thrones kind of atmosphere, kind of dark tones, I could go for that. Which you know, right now you're probably gonna make, make me watch Game of Thrones, for, you know, from now on. But to to, to kind of re- you know prepare for that. But I think if it did, like you like your point, if it if it had a Game of Thrones kind of uh, tone, I, I, I would definitely feel like that. You know, that would be the way to go.
0: Yeah, man. You know what I really want to see though is like. Like with Mortal Kombat, I love Mortal Kombat, but I also love the mythology of the games. And like, you know, so I kind of want to see like the boring stuff in a way, like the kind of stuff that they don't really have time to show in movies. Like, like what does Scorpion do when like nothing else is happening? Like what, what's <laughs> going on with Reptile? Like, you know, Sindel, Sonya Blade, these characters, what are they up to? So I would I want to see something where I get to know these characters on a different level. Um and there's so many of them that you can make like multiple movies easily, multiple uh, episodes of a TV show, too. So, man, I, yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that um, nothing's come out yet. But I've heard rumblings that there's going to be another Mortal Kombat movie. But mm. we'll wait and see. I mean, I've been so excited about stuff like that for years. And then, you know, it never pans out. So we'll wait and see.
1: So so who's your favorite Mortal Kombat character?
0: Oh, man. The, again, this is again, this is the, the, the cliche answer. I would say first it would be Scorpion or Sub-Zero. Right. They're the classics for a reason. Mm-hmm. They're just the both of them are just so iconic and that, you know, that color swap, that palette swap that they've got is just very special to me. But otherwise I love Sindel. Sindel and Mortal Kombat 3, you know, Shao Kahn's bride. She's got the scream, she's got the hair I mean, she's got, I, I just really love her a lot. I mean, I loved all those ninjas, you know, they got a red one, Ermac, purple with rain, whatnot, all these different characters. Um, man, I love Baraka, too, with those blades. Um, yeah. I, I'd say, honestly, I love so many of those guys. My first favorite character was probably Kano uh, from Mortal Kombat 3, you know, when he was in his red outfit, and I love that guy. I love the idea of, like, this this mercenary who's out there who can, like, Know, stare at you and burn a hole in you just by looking at you with his laser eye. So it goes all over the place, but definitely pre Mortal Kombat 4. So, like, all the classics, like, I love Scorpion, Sub Zero, yeah. Sindel, Kano. I mean, you got all these great guys. Jax is fantastic. Um, there's so many great ones in there.
1: I think for me, you know, if I go by the classics, you know, Mortal Kombat 1, 2, and 3, um, Sub Zero, Scorpion, Raiden. Ooh, how did I forget Raiden? I have oh. no idea. I'm like, oh, where's Raiden at? <laughs> I don't
0: know. I, how did I forget Raiden? Raiden's a classic and Reptile too. I love. I man, oh, I reptile. just love so many of them.
1: Yeah, I like uh, Raiden Reptile. Just trying to go off the top of my head. Uh, Cyrax, I like Cyrax. Ooh, I love you. Cyrax is a quality now, one. See, he was the he was the red one, right? Uh, Sector is the red one. Sector. Cyrax is the yellow one. The yellow one. Okay, so I, I meant Sector. I, I, I like yes. both of them. Um, smoke was in it. Mm-hmm. I like smoke. Uh, Shang Shang Shun was pretty cool.
0: Yeah, Shang Tsung all, always. Oh, he was Liu Kang. Can't forget Liu Kang. Can't forget Lu Kang. Um, you got Shao Kahn too. I love Shao Kahn. Even though he's wearing like basically a loincloth I was like, <laughs> man, this guy is so scary. As a kid, I was like, this guy is this guy is just so destructive and he just kills you in a minute. And I so, think, um, man, was, I um, I love Shao Kahn. I hated him, but I also loved him. Uh, Kung Lao. Yes. I like Kung Lao. Another Lao's fantastic hat. character. I like the that. That in his too happen. good. There, yeah. there you go. Wow. Um, and you know, it's so cool. You know, as you talked about it, i say maybe the first four you mentioned, Scorpion, Sub-Zero, Raiden, and Reptile, mm-hmm. all playable with an NBA Jam Tournament Edition, really? which is so cool that you can have that crossover like that. It's
1: crazy. And you know, yeah. me, for being such a big Mortal Kombat fan, I, I did not know until a few years ago that the creators of... Mortal Kombat, um, Ed Boon and um, John Tobias combined created Noob Saibot. So you know, just little yes. shit. That I didn't know.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, um, so, so so in Sonic Two, there's uh, there's Tails, right? Yeah. And his name is Miles uh, Tails Prower. His name is Miles Prower. So when I was a kid, like <laughs> I never, I, I never looked at that. And then I, when I was miles an adult, I was like, Miles Prower, Miles per hour. Oh my god. Yeah. So that you probably had like a
1: miles per hour moment when you saw uh, Boone and Tobias over there. Um, a, a big debate that, that I always constantly put on Twitter because I, I just, I just want to, you know, fuck with people. Um, yeah. Even today, I did put out Mortal Kombat is better than a Street Fighter. And I think that's the, that, that's the ultimate debate mm-hmm. um, you would have. You can't really... You, you can't go wrong with, with either one of them you know, I think it comes down to preference, but if you ask me, Rayon, if I have a Mortal Kombat, if I have a, a Street Fighter mm-hmm. game in my hand, which one am I going to play first or more? For me, I'm going to play Mortal Kombat more. There's a lot of people on my, on my Twitter timeline telling me, oh, you're bugging out. I'm going to unfollow <laughs> you. This is crazy. This is yeah. this is blasphemy. And I'm like, bro, you, you make it sound like Street Fighter is so much better than Mortal Kombat. I'm like, Mortal Kombat, the fatality is, is is up there. Um, I think it's, it's a better, smoother, game, a faster gameplay. I think it's better music. I, I like the dark tones. Street Fighter, it's like, you know, yeah, you fight, but what else can you really do? Like, yeah, the controls are great. Great characters, Ken Ryu, all, all down the line. But I think you could do, a, there's a little bit more, Storyish stuff when it comes to Mortal Kombat. Again, you can't go wrong. I love both, but for me, I would rather play Mortal Kombat more than Street Fighter. What do you think?
0: Absolutely. I mean, personally, of course, yeah, my, my heart's always with Mortal Kombat. I love Street Fighter 2. I've actually got one of those Street Fighter 2 arcade one-up games I was telling you about in my basement right now. And I love Street Fighter. But with Mortal Kombat, I mean, you've got the the atmosphere. And plus, I mean, those, those moves in Mortal Kombat, those to me are like, like when it comes to moves, just comparing them. I mean, Street Fighter has so many great moves, but like the spear, you know, you've got yeah. Raiden's, uh, you know, his, his dive at you. Um, you know, you've got Sub-Zero's freeze and I mean, you've got all these different things, you know, Kano's choke and, you know, Sony's got her, her kick and Sindel's scream and all these things like that. I mean, personally, I feel like Mortal Kombat, I want to know more about the story of that and less about Street Fighter, but with Street Fighter, I can see how the purists are like, okay, this is kind of a cleaner game in a way. And you've got some, um, you know, some other stuff over there that, uh, Mortal Kombat doesn't have, but you know what, Mortal Kombat had that I really, really loved was the secrets You know, people always had these rumors about Mortal Kombat, and there were some Street Fighter rumors, but Mortal Kombat definitely, like, ran with those and had more. So, I mean, my heart's always going to be with Mortal Kombat. I mean, I still love Street Fighter, though, but Mortal Kombat over Street Fighter.
1: Now, since you're a, a, a nostalgic classic fan like me, if you had to pick one, Mortal Kombat 1, 2, or 3, who you got?
0: Ooh. I got I got to go with Mortal Kombat three. Now I know that some people the Mortal Kombat two is considered the game out of those three, mm. but for me, Mortal Kombat three was the first one I played, and Mortal Kombat three is the one I still play all the time, and that's the one that that really like gets me nostalgic. And plus, I really enjoy the flow of it. It's very fast, and I really love the music, and just the the art design is great. The colors are fantastic. I mean, Mortal Kombat two and one are fantastic also, but personally, mm. Mortal Kombat three all the way. What about
1: That's, you? Uh, I would agree. Um, I don't recall one as much. I think one had like eight people in it. Uh, obviously, it's going to be slower. The graphics ain't going to be that great. Part two was a whole lot better. That's when in, the influx of Reptile with a whole bunch of new characters. But three, man, three was just a culmination of one and two put together. Um, I forgot what it was called. It was something... Um, Mortal Kombat 3, something edition. But it was... I I played that game so many times, man. You know, back in the day, in the Super Nintendo era, you had to blow into the cartridge and really get it going and put put, put alcohol... Uh, Was it Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3? Is that what you're thinking of? Yeah, you go. Ultimate, yeah. So, um...
0: You know, that, that's my favorite version. If I had to just pick one Mortal Kombat and never play again, you know, I don't get to play another game until I die. It would be Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3 out of those Mortal Kombat games.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's the best one. I think it's a culmination of one and two with in, and a whole influx of brand new characters, um, you know, just, in, you know, enhancing the, the, the old school classic characters and putting it all in one game and just made me as a kid just want to beat that game. So, so much and, you know, I probably beat it on Novice so many times that I felt like, yeah, I was the man, but I try to go with the little little harder kind of uh, gameplay and they, they all kick my ass, but it's whatever. So um, I, I think part three is the best one. And, you know, comparing it to Street Fighter, man, like I said, I think it's, it, it, it's a matter of preference. Of, of who you like, what you like, what kind of style you like. Do you like the dark tones? Do you do you like a clean style? Do you like the blood in the games of Mortal Kombat or not? But two, two great, two classic games, two classic uh, franchises that, you know, even now where, where Mortal Kombat 11 in, in 2019, MK11, and people are still going – Crazy for I saw I saw the trailer today. It looks it looks great. I don't really buy a lot of games, but if there's one game I like to buy, I would say MK11 would be the one for me.
0: Absolutely, man. I don't have a PS4. I'm what's one of those things. I'm really behind on games. I love games, but mostly around like for me, like the cutoff is like 2000, 2001, 2002 or so. Um, but I mean, I, I think I'm gonna get a PS4 for Mortal Kombat 11. In fact, I'm certain I'm gonna get a PS4 for Mortal Kombat 11. Um, I I still I feel like I missed out on so much because I haven't been able to play um, Mortal Kombat X, um, the one that that came out I think in 2015. Yeah, was it 15. I think it was 15. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I still I still love it so much, and I don't know. Yeah, and plus the whole world is just so compelling to me. I mean, just like that gritty vibe of it. I mean, Mortal Kombat 3. You know, you've got those, uh, the kind of city, those city streets. I love that. Like, you know, you fight in like a subway, you fight on the street, you know, there's a bank stage, you know, I don't know. I really love that kind of that feel. It felt like like it was out of a Terminator movie or something like that.
1: Yeah. Um, Did you ever, uh, real quick, did you ever feel like. Disrespected whether you play with one of your friends, and you, you you kind of think, all right, if they won, they won't do a fatality on me because you know that's my best friend. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. he does a fucking fatality on you, and, and you just <laughs> sit there like, "Come on, man, really? Like, did you have to do that?" The one guy, the one
0: kid <laughs> I used to play with all the time, this kid was he would always like, he was way, I, I could not do fatalities at all. I would always try and I would always get, I would always choke. I always, always panic yeah. and then mess it up. So he would always do the fatalities and I would encourage him to do it. I was like, let me do it so I can see it. And of course this is before YouTube. If you want to see it, you got to do the fatality to make it happen. So, um, he would do the fatalities on me, but I loved it because that way I could get to see them. But none of my other friends I played were ever good enough to do the fatalities themselves. So the one who was good, I actually wanted him to do it so I could see him.
1: Do, do you do you currently own like the old school systems or like the actual, you know, Nintendo, Super Nintendo, the actual cartridge of Mortal Kombat or, or NBA Jam games?
0: Yeah. So let's see. So I got a I, I have a Nintendo in my basement right now uh, with a whole bunch of games on there. I still play that pretty frequently. Um, I've. Used to, I grew up with Sega Genesis. That, of course, is long gone to history. Mm. Um, but I've got a PlayStation 2. I still break out once in a while. I've got a PlayStation 3 I break out. Well, I've got a PlayStation 3 I use all the time. And I've got a, a Dreamcast. Um, so, of course, PS2, PS3, not really classic games that way. But especially the Dreamcast and the Nintendo, those have a lot of memories for me. And I, I still have those. What's funny is I, I mean, I'm writing this book about NBA Jam. If I wanted to go play NBA Jam right now... I couldn't. All I can play is the PS3 one, the one that uh, EA put out in 2009, 2010 or so, or 2011. So um, I got to get on that, but nice. I still played NBA Jam so much and watched so much footage, I could probably like play it just in my head. Um, but yeah, as far as classic systems go, I've got a Nintendo downstairs, and I've got a, uh, I got a Dreamcast. Actually, I think I've got a PlayStation uh, 1 also, but I play most of those games on the PS2.
1: So you mean to tell me you don't have, like, a Super Nintendo, the actual game of Mortal Kombat 1, 2, or 3 in your house right now? You don't?
0: No, no, no. All uh, I've got is the man. version on PS3, like the, uh, the one where you could download the package. I didn't get a Genesis with NBA Jam, but I gave it to my brother, who is 12 years younger than me. To be like okay, you put you know I know he loves uh, he loves uh, Sega Genesis, mm. even though it's a different time frame. But he loved the he loves Sonic, he loves Sega. So I gave it to him. So yeah, now that you're mentioning it to me,
1: I feel horrible. I don't have an NBA Jam game I can go play in my house right now. That's uh, what am I doing, man? Well, listen, man, in, not to get you upset or jealous, but at some point in time, I'm going to put on Twitter because I do have NBA Jam TE Super Nintendo. I do have. NBA Live ninety five Super Nintendo cartridge, and I do have Mortal Kombat one and three cartridge in the house. So don't you are putting
0: me to shame. I am jealous. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm about to come over there. If they end up going missing, uh, don't don't call me. It was not me. If they end up going missing, well, but uh, but they might. Let me just say that
1: I know either it's in my house or in storage. I know I, I still own it. So whenever that time comes for a game night, whatever. They're coming out, and it's like, I here in New York, they, they have a, a store downtown, real quick, in, in Manhattan, where you just, you know, you buy old games, magazines, posters, all that good stuff, so I went in there, and me, I'm like, oh, shit, they got 64, they got the Sega, they got the Dreamcast, they got, and I'm like, I, I my favorite system is the Super Nintendo, so I, that's what I would go for uh, the most, and I saw me Jam there. I saw the price. I was like, "Damn!" But I kind of need it. Then I saw MK3 there, MK1, and I, I left there, man. It was just like back in nineteen. I felt like I was back in nineteen ninety four all over again. It was like, wow. Like either I don't have to play it, but long as you have it, it just absolutely, like, then yeah. That's that, that's all. That's all you need. Absolutely.
0: Just the feeling of knowing that you could turn it on whenever you want to. And just knowing that you've got it at home, or you've got it in storage. is just so fantastic. So, man, I absolutely need to get on that. You know, I was a Genesis kid. So you and I would have been rivals. Oh, yeah. You know, big time. Big time. So, but that said, though, I always wanted a Super Nintendo. It's one of those things where you know, on one side, you wanted the other one. And I saw all these amazing Super Nintendo games, Super Mario World and Star Fox Mm -hmm. and, you know, Donkey Kong Country and all these great ports. So um, I don't have too much experience with the Super Nintendo, but, you know, someday I want to get a Super Nintendo to catch up. I want to get a Nintendo 64 to catch up because I had a PlayStation at that point. I want to get a second Saturn 2 to fill in the gaps over there. But, man, you got me jealous now. And you got me really (laughs) thinking about at what point am I going to get an actual NBA Jam cartridge? I need Mm -hmm. to get one of those.
1: Um, The last question I'll ask you, and it's kind of similar to what I asked you about the legacy of uh, NBA Jam, and I want to ask you, what's the legacy of Mortal Kombat? I know we're, we're, we're me and you are both big fans, and it's been around yeah. for over twenty five years, and you know it, it came at a time where you know you're talking about early nineties, everything's clean cut, everything is Mario and Sonic and Street Fighter, and you know when they, the the influx, the the you know introduction of Mortal Kombat to the scene. You know, a lot of fans, a lot of parents were not fans of the game with the violence and the and, and the blood and the gruesome kind of graphics it'll have. But I think at at some point in time, people have grown accustomed to to liking it, to loving it, and kind of you know accepting it in the lore of video game history. So, talk about the legacy of Mortal Kombat in general, and you know it, you know kind of you know its impact in the culture of video games.
0: Absolutely, man. I mean, Mortal Kombat has been immeasurable too. I mean, when you think about Mortal Kombat, just the fact that you had a fatality uh screen, which means that the fight would stop and something else would happen, games were ripping that off left and right in the nineties. And Midway was making so much money off of Mortal Kombat at that point that they were on top of the world. And, you know, NBA Jam and Mortal Kombat Combat they come out side by side. Mm-hmm. They did so well for Midway that it was just it was just such an incredible time. And um I mean, just thinking about how much of an impact the Mortal Kombats had on arcades and arcade culture in terms of secrets, right? I mean, that's just staggering. I mean, aside from like the, let's say the fighting style of it or get over here or Scorpion or this or that, I mean, just the secrets alone. I wonder how much money the Mortal Kombat games made just from people who are trying to find out some secret in there, mm. well, Whether it's there or not. But spending the money to, like, you know, oh, let me try to find this character, or how do I find smoke, or how do I do this, how do I unlock that? Right. I mean, it's had an immeasurable impact in that way, but I would say, yeah, I mean, the secrets, the gore, the fatalities, I mean, just the speed of the game. Um, And I'd also say, you know, those digitized characters, those realistic characters, I mean, you – Street Fighter looks more like an, I'd say, more like an anime style. You know, it's hand-drawn, it's beautiful, mm. but it's very different in a vibe. And then Mortal Kombat, it's got, you've got a realistic, gritty feel, actual people doing the moves, actual martial arts. So, I mean, it was huge in that way. And then everybody was biting Mortal Kombat style all throughout the 90s, trying to come up with their own versions of finishing moves and stuff. I mean, I think that all owes so much to Mortal Kombat. So, I mean, it's it had an immeasurable impact and especially when it comes to those secrets, as I think about it off the top of my head.
1: Last one. I did not even know Ed Boon was the voice behind get over here. Yes. Yes. I I, I saw the video recently. Yes. Yeah. I just
0: posted that clip again when I found it. I know. And, yeah, it's just, uh, it's crazy seeing that. And you know, this is one thing I really love about Midway that you don't necessarily find at every game company, especially nowadays, because Midway was very much like they would do whatever they wanted to. Like they, these guys, they would help each other out on games. So it's very likely that Mark Tremell helped out the Mortal Kombat team and the Mortal Kombat team helped out Mark Tremell and the NBA Jam team. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they would do voices for each other. They would put each other in the game. You know, um, Sal DeVita, who was an artist on NBA Jam, um, and then he ended up, uh, he ended up doing all the motion capture for NFL Blitz and he was Sector and Cyrax and, and Smoke and Nightwolf in Mortal Kombat. Nice. So these guys would trade off duties. I mean, you'd have, um, John Hay, who did the music for NBA Jam and for, um, let's see, oh, Smash TV and a whole bunch of other games. He was the voice of Raiden in the original Mortal Kombat. Mm. These guys, they would just go around and they would be like, okay, who, I need something. Uh, who's available? Who wants to do this? And they'd be like, "Yeah, sure, I'll do it. I'll scream into a microphone." And then they take those screams and put those in the game. So these guys, they would just be small teams—four, five, six, seven people—and then trade duties here and there. So, no, knowing that Ed Boon was the voice of "Get over here, Scorpion." That's crazy, but I mean, he pulled it off so well that you wouldn't—that you'd be like, "Really? Was that him?" And then you find out it is him years later, and it's—it's
1: uh, it's wild. I mean, I didn't find that out until long later. Mm-hmm. Sub-Zero, Scorpion versus Ken and Ryu, who you got? Ooh.
0: I mean, think about it this way, all right? These guys, the the Mortal Kombat guys, they can do fatalities. And they also have these vicious weapons, all right? So, like, one of them's got an ice. I mean, what's... You know what does Ryu or Ken have? They've had the fireballs. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I come on. Get- well, he's just going to freeze you, man, and then yeah. Scorpion's going to throw a spear at you and rip you apart. Exactly. No, 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 no. The uppercuts too. I mean, come on, those uppercuts. I felt like the screen would shake when he did those uppercuts. So
1: I'm I'm sticking with Scorpion and Sub Zero. But again, heavily biased, heavily, heavily biased. Hey man, if you're out there, if you're if you're a, a Street Fighter fan. I'm not mad at you. If you're a Mortal Kombat fan, I love you. But uh, I think both games are are great, fantastic. Um, Both great franchises. But um, but, uh, but Rayon, always a pleasure having you on, man. Uh, You're also on Twitter again for uh, NBA Jam Book. So (laughs) anything else you want to say or plug, go right ahead, man.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. So just to give you a bit of context about the book itself. So um, it's, you know, I'm currently looking at it being now this is hopefully, you know, it's all going to go through edits and it's going to going to stay like this It's looking at the story of Midway. Uh, From the beginning to the end. And NBA Jam, of course, is such a central part of it. But I've also got sections in there, you know, some references uh, to like Mortal Kombat and Terminator 2, the arcade game, and NFL Blitz and WWF WrestleMania and all this whole other world. So, you know, if you're interested in old video game culture, if you really want to hear a compelling story, um, you know, you don't even have to just be an NBA Jam fan. I've written this book to uh, focus toward somebody who just wants to hear like an interesting story about 90s games because I fill you in on everything you need to know. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I've spent some like four years working on it. And um, there's an excerpt out there. Um, just go to yeah, twitter.com/nbajambook. I've got a pin link at the top with the excerpt. You can read that to get a feel of what it's like. Um, I'm going to hopefully have a release date announced soon, um, as this final draft is going in and things are moving along. Things are going really well with it. I'm hopefully going to be doing some live appearances and readings after that. I've got all this memorabilia to share too, Um, but if nothing else, I mean, come check out the Twitter. In the meantime, I guarantee you will see something that either you've never seen before or you forgot existed because I am going through and doing deep dives. I mean, I was just talking to a gentleman today. He was like, where do you keep finding like these weird magazine scans and old midway promotional videos and clips of this and clips of that and all this weird NBA jam stuff. I found somebody, I posted a picture of somebody with a really, honestly, not a great NBA jam tattoo you should check that out. Um, but I mean, I was thinking like in the way some people are, are crate diggers, you know, I'm going over here, I'm doing culture digging, you know, I'm trying to find out where's this old stuff. Like let's, you know, let's look at old arcade stuff. Um, so yeah, check that out. And if you're interested, the book is very much along the same lines and it's a really compelling story. And it's, I mean, honestly, of course I got the bias of the being the guy that wrote it, but I think it's uh, (laughs) a really beautiful arc. You know, this game becomes huge and then it falls off. Well, why to fall off? Well, I get into that. Right. And I talk about some really happy times and I talk about some really sad times too. And I talk about this game company that everybody loved that made Midway, that uh, Midway, that made Mortal Kombat, made NBA Jam and why it's no longer around anymore. Um, so it was a really special time and I feel so... Um, so lucky to have the chance to be able to cover this and to you know discuss this in detail. And some of the stories I've got over here are just are really crazy and really good. And some of the characters are fascinating. So give it a whirl. If nothing else, check out the Twitter and uh, look at some old Mortal Kombat and NBA Jam and Midway and um, old video game stuff.
1: Well, you know what, man, you 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 definitely have a fan in me. Uh, I've been following your, your your timeline for quite some time. Uh, I love the content that you put out. NBA Jam, Mortal Kombat, just the video game culture um, by itself. Because you know we, we are living in a time where you know we could easily forget you know stuff from back in the days that that we loved that we used to do. And um, with that, we, you know, with social media now, you can post up a video of an old video game trailer or preview and you know, fans would comment, oh, man, I, I remember this. I was there. You know what? I, I got to go outside and get this game. And the prime example, when, you know, I, I was doing the Mount Rushmore um, debate and people were just, I that. People were just yeah. you know, on my neck for that. Um, but I, I did it because it was fun. And a few guys said, you know, I, I, I thank you and I appreciate what you're doing? I mean, I didn't have any motive. I just felt like doing it. But you said I really appreciate. You know, you doing it because you're, you're keeping the name alive. You're keeping their legacy alive and ongoing. I mean, like, who am I? I'm just a you know a fan. But now, when you put that out there, you're gonna have mega discussions and debates, and people going back and forth and say, you know what? I love that game. I hate that game. I you know I hate that character. And you get a little you know a, a mini. Um, nostalgic discussion of your favorite video game or or video games. So when I did it for Dreamcast, when I did it for Super Nintendo and 64 and so on and so forth, it just kind of made my timeline uh, sit back and say, you know what, I haven't heard about these games in a very long time. And I'm kinda glad you brought it up. So now I can kinda go get it, get the system, go online on YouTube, look at the previews and all the videos. So I think, you know, we we live in a world now where it's you know, something is good today and it's gone tomorrow. We we, you know, we have to kind of reflect on, you know, whether it's sports, whether it's video games, movies, music, just kinda go back and and, and reminisce and, and let people know, hey, without uh, this game there ain't no Call of Duty without this game there ain't no Halo without this game there's no this and that so and more so for the young generation to kind of know um, their history and, and, and know and, and appreciate the likes of Street Fighters and Motor Combats and and, and, the, and the, the older Mario's a lot of kids now just know the Mario Kart whatever it is, Mario Kart 20 on on whatever it is now. But they should know about Mario Kart from 1991, 92, 93, and and, and just kind of appreciate the essence of how video games were back in the day, which is, you know expensive you had to deal with uh, you know the cartridge blowing and all that kind of stuff and it's not HD and you're dealing with RCA cables back in the day and now it seems so fresh so easy and i think it's kind of cool to you know people like me and you to um have people reminisce about back in the day
0: absolutely man absolutely i mean aside from just the the value of the you know the joy and the excitement you get sometimes when you look at old nostalgic stuff that takes you back to some good times i mean When you think about video games, it's still a very young medium. I mean, the first video game was created, like, let's say, I think it was um, something like, I mean, depending on how you want to count it, like, let's say Pong, which isn't the first game, but that first famous game, I'd say, came out in 1970, or 1972, rather. And, you know, video games are still so young, and it's so cool to be able to chronicle this so that, you know, this is preserved and that when somebody comes back to NBA Jam 25 years from now, you know, when NBA Jam turns 50, you'll be able to say, okay, this is about how it was made. These are the people that were involved. Because, you know, the reality is, of course, that unfortunately, someday these people will pass on. And all these these ideas they had for these games and the world they lived in and their perspective on game making is so cool and so, um, it's so special that being able to preserve it is something that I think is really important. I mean, these are some fascinating stories aside from the human element, just from the creative aspect you know learning about how you know why'd you make this decision like why make on fire like you know why make nba jam two on two versus like something else you know why uh, why keep the period so short you know why do this why do that i mean there's so many lessons in there that you can learn from a creative perspective um and i mean it's a young medium and it's worth tracking and i hope that honestly you know i hope two things come from it when this book comes out i hope that one Other people are saying, boy, I want to chronicle old video game history. And then, you know, they start doing stuff for stuff that came out in the 2000s, even just while those people are alive and that's still fresh in their minds. Right. And then I, too, I hope, you know, somebody, somebody reads this and says, you know, some guy, some young guy reads this and says, "Um, you know, I want to be, I want to, I want to make the next great arcade game and then bring that medium back too. I mean, arcade was where video games started in a way. Pong started as an arcade game. So this is such an important part of video game culture and look at how huge video game the video game business is that mm. I think it's really important to, to preserve this and to hold on
1: to it. Well, Rayon Ali, man, it uh, was definitely a pleasure finally having you on. Great conversation, great throwbacks that we, we threw out there. Uh, all the best to you with the NBA Jam book. Again, he's on Twitter at NBA Jam book. Uh, looking forward to it when it comes out. And I know when it does eventually come out, I know we'll have you on again soon, bro.
0: Thank you so much for for your time. Thank you so much for having me on. And thank you so much to anybody who's listening. I really appreciate it. Um, it's really been a pleasure to be here. And um, I love your show, Randy. And uh, Thank you. Yeah, man. Um, this, is, this is so exciting. And I would absolutely love to come back on in the future. All right, man. Thank you, man. Take it easy. All right, man. Take care. All right.